Good morning. We find ourselves today in Acts chapter 3. And so let's begin by reading through the text, and then we will go back and uh, divide out uh, some of this stuff and just see um, today we want to see that uh, Jesus is with us, that we are living in the presence of God. So let's begin. Acts 3, beginning verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant of God that he made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. What we noticed last week as we ended Acts chapter 2 is that these newly converted folks, these, these men and women who were once dead and were now made alive, they were actively engaged in this brand new life. They were steadfastly, fervently active in the things that we talked about in Acts 2.42, is that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This was their steadfast, fervent, active life. 
In other words, what we see here is that they were actively engaged in discipleship. Discipleship, what, what is that, essentially? A disciple is one who is disciplined by Christ. They were disciplined in the steadfast, fervent, active life of pursuing after the Word of God. Pursuing after, disciplined after fellowship one with another. Disciplined about the breaking of bread. Disciplined about prayer. See, this new life, remember, it was lived everywhere. It was lived out loud. It was an actionable life. It wasn't one just closed in. It was discipleship lived out uh, in front of the world. We remember as we finished up last week in Acts 2.47 that we ended like this, that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, what they had first in this active pursuit, in this disciples being discipled and continuing in discipleship, this was the first witness of Christ. Their active lives in pursuit of life-giving work. Their active pursuit in this life-giving Word of God, in the life-giving fellowship one with another, in the life-giving of going back to communion. And this action, it occurred uh, with love. Uh, love for their brothers and sisters. And, and in this love, they proclaimed the excellencies of God. You know, Jesus put it most aptly in John chapter 13. Let's look really quickly at Acts, at John uh, 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, we notice that this active life, it doesn't hide itself away. It's lived out in love for one another. And it is that love that says that we are disciplined. We are disciples who are disciplined by Christ. Those of us who are disciplined by Christ are disciplined by the words of Christ, by the scriptures. We are disciplined in that we uh, have fellowship one with another, that our brothers and sisters might help us in our walk of discipleship that other disciples are discipling us as we are continuing to be discipled by Christ. We are further disciplined in our gathering together as we gather together and we go to the table of communion as we bring nothing to this life of Christ, this nothing to this Christian walk, except for our sin. That's what we bring. And we bring it to the cross together in brotherhood, in fellowship, and this, done in love with one another and toward one another, is an effective, active witness to the world that we are indeed sons and daughters of Christ. Remember that as he would speak this to the people uh, in Jerusalem, these uh, Jews that would hear this and see what was about to, to happen is that remember that there was an indictment that, that God made by his holy prophets. And we see uh, Peter here 
proclaim that the prophet spoke of this time. But the prophets spoke about this. In almost all of the uh, prophetic books, you can see this recurring sort of theme is you have sinned and transgressed. God, repent or judgment. If you do not repent, you know that judgment is coming. If you do repent, you get restored. But even if you don't repent, there's ultimately, there is going to be a time of repentance where God will restore. If you do not repent, you're going to be destroyed or exiled or one of those type of things. But another overarching theme, especially I found in the book of Amos, we don't have time to go into uh, what I studied on my own today, this week. Um, and I don't have time to do that this morning, but maybe um, in your own time, maybe read Amos chapter 5. And we'll see that God demands justice and not ritual from the Jews. You see, what God was really most concerned with is that they had this life in God and they hid it away. And they didn't do justice while there were injustices happening before them. They ignored injustice. They ignored bringing righteousness, God's righteousness, to bear in the world. So I have a couple of questions that I ask of you this morning that I've asked of myself this week that I continue to, to ask. And I think that it's good for us to ask. This is part of the discipleship process. This is part of being disciplined by God is to ask some questions of ourselves. Number one, do our lives reflect and proclaim the gospel? Does what I'm doing and how I'm living and my active engagement in life, in the life outside of the church, in my life inside of the church, in my relationships with fellow believers, does this life that I live reflect and proclaim the gospel? Am I being a good witness to Christ just by how I live? And further, do the activities that we engage in reflect the reality of this, that we who were once dead were made alive by the power of God? Our activities that we engage in, the things that now we have been transformed from death into life, ought to reflect that very life, that we've been made alive, we who were once dead, that we have been made alive by the power of God. Remember in our opening that we looked at James chapter 2. I'd like to look there again and just read through this again and, and, and see uh, what it is that we're talking about here. What good is it, my brothers? This is James 2, 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If your brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, by faith, if itself does not have works, is dead. You see, those are dead things. And he's talking about this life living actively, living our faith actively. Do you know that faith is working in my life? you will see that faith being worked out. It is meant to be active. We are meant to be goers, not sitters. We are meant to be goers. You know that Jesus, when he says in Matthew, in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, let's look at 19 and 20 real quick. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I did promise that I was going to get to dividing the book of Acts, but I think we needed to have all of that background, all of those things to see what is really going on here. What is the reality of the boldness of faith that Peter and John are living out? These disciples who were being discipled by Christ, who were also then discipling others, what is it that caused this sort of bold living, this active faith lived out in public? So let's look back again. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms for those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So we remember that we had a cyclic pattern that we're going to see in the book of Acts that we've seen um, already uh, and that we're going to continue to see throughout the text of this uh, book as we study it together. Is that number one, Christian leaders emerge and they preach the gospel. So you see, this is leadership right here out in front of us. These leaders here, they didn't only preach the gospel with their words. They lived the gospel. They modeled this steadfastness to doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They modeled their faith in action. You see, they were goers. They were disciples making disciples, all the while continuing in personal discipleship. That's what this continuing to continue thing that we talked about in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, about this continual steadfastness, this fervency, this um, constancy, consistency, is about discipleship, about being disciplined. Do we not see that does it, does it not take discipline to be those who are about the word of God? We have to discipline, be disciplined to do so. Does it not take discipline to be in fellowship one with another? Because I think occasionally we might rub up against one another and this is difficult for us to remain in fellowship. But remaining in fellowship is about discipline. That's about being disciplined to continue in fellowship even when we don't want to. Even when we are really not liking the folks that maybe we are called to be in fellowship with. It's about being disciplined by the word of God, disciplined to be in fellowship, disciplined to break bread together, one another, to share our lives together, one with another, even when it's difficult. And is it not difficult to pray? Does it not take discipline to pray? I don't know about you guys, but if I'm super exhausted or my brain is going a million miles an hour and I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking that I ought to just go to sleep and I can have this uh, prayer list and have stuff jotted down and all of that and I'm going to go through this prayer list as I pray, you know, I can find myself getting to about point three and the next thing you know, I am sawing logs big time. I am out. You see, it takes discipline. There are all kinds of things that would get in the way of our prayer and get in the way of our being disciples, of our being discipled. So now let's look back here. Let's look at verse 4. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. 
we should notice that Peter and John say, look at us. It's not about arrogance. It's about faith in Christ. You see, they took the Great Commission to heart, both Peter and John. And they said, when Jesus said to us, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. They took that always to be serious, that Jesus is always with them. You see, they had decided that because Jesus was going to be with them, that they had Jesus with them, that Jesus was in their presence, that they were living in the presence of God. You know, when we, you and I, who were once dead, have been made alive, guess what? When we were dead, we didn't really acknowledge or were not aware of our lives being lived in the presence of God. But once we were taken from death unto life, we recognized this, that we are indeed in the presence of God. We gather here this morning as we gather for our worship service together and we have our brothers and sisters here with us. We realize this, that we are in the presence of God currently, that God is right here, that Christ Jesus is in the center, in the middle of, uh, participating in and with us in our congregation this morning, that Jesus is with us because he made this promise that if we go and we make disciples, that he would be there that he would always be there with us, that he would never leave us, never forsake us. He's right there in the middle of our lives. But we're only aware of that once we've been taken from death unto life. Then we are aware that we are living in the presence of God. So we see something that faith to me is invalid if we don't live it. Remember a few weeks ago that we talked about our definition of belief as being by life, that by our lives, we demonstrate our faith. By our lives, we demonstrate what it is that we believe. If we go about living a life full of dead things, that really does tell us what we believe. Do we believe that Christ is with us? Do we believe that he is with us to the end of the age? Do we believe that we have what it is that the world needs that we have Jesus Christ that he is with us so you see back here when when Peter and John look at this lame man and say look at us they are saying look we have what it is that you need it was a special measure of faith that day in verse 5 and he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Look at this special measure of faith. Is that that day, Peter, hyper aware of Christ's presence, reached down to a lame man and said this, You have come looking for what you want what you think that you need what you think you need and what your daily need and concern is is provision you know this man couldn't fend for himself couldn't work couldn't earn a living you know how is he to get food how is he to do any of those things as he laid there and he said you know I don't have silver I don't have gold I don't have much but what I do have what I do have 
is Jesus Christ and he is here with me because he promised me that as I go to make disciples that he would be with me to the end of the age. One thing we ought to notice here too is that when we think about evangelism, oftentimes we think about, you know, a Billy Graham who stands in front of hundreds of thousands of folks at one time and he proclaims the truth of the gospel and that many come to salvation that day because of the broad proclamation to many, many folks. You see, I see here in this text that discipleship and evangelism are working side by side together, sort of intertwined, as you were. These disciples who were being discipled, being disciplined by Christ, being disciplined in the Word of God, being disciplined in fellowship, being disciplined in the breaking of bread together, being disciplined in prayer, took this discipleship and were actively out there then being this witness. It's the first step of evangelism, you see, that, that, that as they cared for one another in their discipleship process, they then proclaimed the excellencies of Christ out loud as a, as a witness to the world, as their evangelical, their evangelistic effort um, started and, and began with and was born out of their discipleship. And so I don't see that one necessarily ends before one begins or that you must be evangelized and then discipled. It, it, it works um, hand in hand together. We might also notice here that in, in verse 5, as we look at this, we see that, that often when we think about what it is that we want, we think that we want these certain things. And it turns out that what we need is Jesus. And that maybe the things that we want, they're valid and they're good. And maybe sometimes they're not. And see, when we get what we need, then Christ can change our minds about the things that we want. You see, we think we want good things. We think we want the right things. But oftentimes we need to get what we need and we need more of Jesus. And then our wants change. The things we desire change because God gives us the desires of our heart. That is, he doesn't give in to our desires, but he gives us the very things that we ought to be desiring. Now, notice here as we continue is, I, I want to stop here for one second again, I'm sorry, but I, I think it, it must be said that when you and I go out and we live in the world and we think about, I don't have talent, uh, I'm not eloquent of speech, um, I, I don't have a lot of money, I don't have a, a great power of influence. But what I do have, I do have, and that is I have Christ. And I am in Christ and Christ is in me. One of the things that we should notice about what um, Peter says here is that he talks about the reality of Jesus. He says that this Jesus Christ, he was of Nazareth, that is a real person in a real time at a real place. Because he is understanding that he is with him in reality now. But he wanted to communicate to this lame guy the reality of Christ. That this Christ that I proclaim, he is really here, and he really was, and he really is the Jesus that was in Nazareth. 
and that he was a real Jesus in real time, in a real place, you see? And then verse seven, and he took him up by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Notice here this, that this was a special faith. This was a faith that, that reached out and took him up. What if the man had dropped? No, there was no thought of what if the man had dropped. God ordained this special faith in this special time. We don't always have the faith to go reach out and tell a lame person to get up and walk. But as the reality of Christ was in specially revealed, a special faith was given to Peter that day to reach out and say, stand up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see here that this, this uh, believer, this, this new follower, he, he got more than he bargained for. He got more than he asked for. He would ask for money. He would ask for those things that would give him provision, that would help him make it through the day. But he got more than he ever asked for. When the disciples said, look at us, these guys, this guy, this lame man, he got more than provision. He got taken from death unto life that day. And guess what? Immediately, immediately he began being a witness to Jesus Christ. He was evangelized and immediately, immediately when he received Jesus Christ, he had Jesus Christ with him and he was up and leaping and praising God and he was being a witness to the world around him. Can you see that we don't have to go when we are saved and we have all that we ever need in the person of Jesus Christ to be a witness to him. We have all that we ever would need as we have him and he is with us. Notice that they didn't go back and train him and they didn't uh, teach him what all that he needed to know. They didn't give him four spiritual laws that he must proclaim the gospel. No, he just stood up and praised what God had done for him. He praised that Jesus Christ had met him for real in a divine appointment that day and had transferred him from death unto life and he was leaping and praising God and these guys might have looked at this as cracks me up because as they would have looked at this I know that guy is this really the guy like isn't that the guy that I we just saw laying there there's what is he's different he's alive he's full of the life of Christ and he's leaping and he's praising God and he had every reason to not praise God. He had a life that was lived from his birth up until that point where he had nothing, where he was lame. He couldn't walk. He couldn't get his own food. He couldn't do anything for himself. And yet, in this moment, because he was transferred from death unto life, he didn't look back and regret all the things that he didn't have. He had what all that he needed in that moment is that he had Jesus. And he proclaimed this Christ boldly and in front of others. This is an amazing witness of Christ, that the witness of Christ became, uh, came to this lame man immediately. One thing to notice, too, is that they won one man. Sometimes our evangelism, and a lot of times it is really one at a time. 
one of the things that, that will help the church grow exponentially is that as we proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and our friends and those who are maybe close to us or maybe those that God puts in our path in these divine appointments is that we don't leave them there with the truth of the gospel that then is when we begin to do discipleship with them that we see their whole life through we see this whole new life through to an end and that's why it's good to gather together to get back to those four basic things that we talked about is that as this man who is leaping and praising god should not be left to just this moment this moment of evangelism where he is moment making a response to the good news of Jesus Christ. This should be nurtured that he then should be encouraged by these who are being discipled, these disciples of Christ who are being discipled themselves. You see, they're being discipled themselves and then they disciple others and bring them along. You see, they they point them back to this, that we need to be steadfast in the doctrines of Christ. We need to be steadfast in fellowship uh, in the encouragement of the brothers and the sisters in Christ to encourage us to keep walking and keep growing in him and to increase in our knowledge of who Jesus is. And then that as we go back and we see that we are just still a sinful wreck, even though we have been uh, changed from death unto life, we still have sin that rears its ugly head in us. And then we can boldly go back to the throne of grace and go back to the communion table, back to the breaking of bread where Christ's death on the cross is sufficient for us and that his blood shed for us cleanses us of all unrighteousness and then be disciplined to pray and seek God and seek his wisdom. You see this, we win one at a time. And when we win one at a time, we must disciple them. Now, we look at verse 11 through verse 16. You see, Peter again, as he did in his first message, did not let them off the hook. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? We want them to understand that this faith that this man has now received was a gift from God, and that his power to walk was not done in their own religious um, power. It wasn't done in their... Um, in their own um, ability. They hadn't become just such good guys, such good Christian people that now they had this power to make him walk. It was in the power of Jesus Christ and, and faith that made this man walk. And they further go through the, the uh, lineage that these guys might know this, that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. You see, they want to say that you're not off the hook. The responsibility is yours. It is you who delivered. It is you who denied. It is you who crucified Christ. When I look at this in my own life, I say it is me who delivered up Christ. It is me who denied him. It is me who crucified him. Had I been there that day, absent of the power of Jesus, having transferred me from death unto life, in my deadness, in my own flesh, had I been there that day, I would have been one in the crowd yelling, 
crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And we should note here that it is God who raised him from the dead, that God raised this Jesus from the dead, and that they, the disciples, they were witnesses to this. And notice this, that in verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and that faith is through Jesus. That faith has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. You see, he says, look at this. You think that you might find wholeness in God by some adherence to the law, that that you have been taught and you have grown up in this idea that if you adhere to the law, if you adhere to these rules, that then this will somehow make you whole before God. And whose faith is it that made him strong? Is it the faith of John and Peter that made this lame man strong and that made this lame man whole in the presence of God? Well, certainly the faith of John and Peter proclaimed the truth. But look at this, the faith of the man, the faith of the lame man in Jesus Christ made him strong. And where did he get this faith? This faith was not handed to him by Peter and John. They had a faith of their own in Christ. This faith that Peter and John had was not their own either. The author of life, the one whom these are responsible for having killed, this is the author of faith. This, this is the one to whom this man was made whole. This faith that God gave him made him whole. What we should notice, too, is that this offer is going to be made to all of them. This offer that was made to this man can be yours today. This offer that was made to the lame man, this offer of faith in the person of Jesus Christ to make us whole, to make him whole, this offer is for you today. Today, if by the Holy Spirit's power you're being nudged at, pulled on, guided, would you today receive the free gift of faith that comes from Jesus Christ? It's free to you, but it cost him everything. As you see, it cost him who was innocent to take the place of a murderer on the cross, to take the place of a murderer like me, a sinner like me, a sinner like you. We would have just said, take the murderer. Let us have the murderer and crucify him. And they did so. And that's when love came down for us. Is that for us today, if you're being nudged and you put faith in the name of Jesus Christ, that is what is going to make you whole before God. And that is my prayer today, that if there's one here that is hearing this for the first time or is hearing it again and that God is nudging you, don't let today go by without doing business with God, without doing business with the cross, without appropriating what it is that Jesus has done for you, that Jesus has laid his life down for you. And that notice this, that God did not leave him there, that God raised him from the dead, that God raised him from the dead, and that you then have the power to be transformed from death unto life by the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you are transferred into the power by that power, when you are transferred into life from death, that you then can proclaim 
the excellencies of God and be a witness right here and right now. To this end we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.